Secretary Paul Pate, Congressman Greg Pence, Speaker Todd Houston, my fellow Hoosiers, my friends in Iowa, my fellow Americans, it is great to be back in the Hawkeye State. You know, Indiana will always be home for us. And I get why people make big announcements back home, in their hometown, at their resort, even on Twitter. (laughs) But we wanted to be here, in person, in Iowa. We are here because we know that Iowa was the right place to start our engines for the great American comeback. We just wanted you to know, men and women of Iowa, we know the next Republican nominee for president and the next president of the United States will get their start right here in the Hawkeye State. So we thank you all for being here. We're truly grateful, all of you that have come from near and far. I stand before you today deeply humbled. As a son of the heartland, the grandson of an Irish immigrant, My dad was a combat veteran in the Korean War. My mom, a first-generation Irish-American, was 91 years young and looking on from home today. Hi, Mom. Our family lived the American dream. I married the girl of my dreams. Now you understand a little bit more about how special she is. Elementary school teacher, an artist, a pilot, and the best second lady the United States of America has ever had. Would you join me in thanking my amazing wife, Karen Pence? As Karen just told you, together we raised three incredible kids. We married three amazing spouses, and just in the past two years, we became grandparents three times over to the three most beautiful little granddaughters ever born in the history of the world. Our son is a captain in the United States Marine Corps. Our daughter Charlotte is a best-selling author and married to a lieutenant. In the United States Navy, they just finished Top Gun. And our daughter, Audrey, is a Yale Law graduate, now practicing law. Let me just say, as Karen did, we love you guys. And we miss you today. You know, I actually started in politics in another party. You may not know that. But I'll try to tell you. As soon as I heard the voice of the 40th president of the United States, I joined the Reagan revolution and never looked back. (laughs) 
I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a man in college. And I started a lifelong love affair with the Constitution of the United States. For all of my adult life, as my brother just said, the introduction I prepared is pretty short. I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. And it has been my honor to serve you, the people of this state and nation. Now, now most Americans know me from my last assignment in the White House. What you may not know is I was also a congressman from Indiana for 12 years. I was a leader for House conservatives. We fought for life and liberty. I battled against big spenders in both political parties during those years, and most of them remember it. I was a governor in Indiana where we cut taxes, as you heard from Speaker Houston. We achieved record employment. We expanded educational choice, stood for the right to life and the freedom of religion. And as your vice president, I was proud to stand by President Donald Trump every single day when we made America great again. Everything I am, everything I ever will be, I owe to my family, the people of this country, and to Almighty God. I often think of that verse that King David wrote. Who am I? Who is my family that you brought me this far? You know, I truly do believe in the boundless potential of every American to live the American dream. But traveling around this country over the past two years since I left office, it feels different, doesn't it? Talking to our fellow Americans, I see weariness on faces everywhere I go. And I hear it in their voices. I don't have to tell any of you here. This country's in a lot of trouble. President Joe Biden and the radical left have weakened America at home and abroad. The confidence and pride that once lifted the American spirit to new heights not so long ago has given way to fear and a growing angst that our best days might be in the past. In many ways, our country has grown barely recognizable than just a few short years ago. There are crises everywhere. Our borders under siege. Inflation's at a near 40-year high. Gas prices are through the roof. Fertilizer and fuel prices are working a hardship on family farms here in Iowa and Indiana and all across the country. Crime is skyrocketing in our major cities. Real wages are falling and our national debt is piling up like a mountain range on our children and grandchildren. And that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has emboldened the enemies of freedom around the world. And maybe worst of all, our timeless American values are under assault every day. In classrooms, our children are indoctrinated into radical ideologies and even taught to hate our history. And from boardrooms, our faith and beliefs are insulted routinely. While government agencies target concerned parents and punish consumers in the name of social justice. We're better than this. This country has been so good to my family, and I've been honored to serve it. We both have. 
And it'd be easy to stay on the sidelines. That's not how I was raised. I've long believed that to whom much is given, much will be required. That's why today, before God and my family, I'm announcing that I'm running for president of the United States of America. can bring this country back. We can defend our nation and secure our border. We can revive our economy and put our nation back on a path to a balanced federal budget. We can defend our liberties and give America a new beginning for life. But it'll require new leadership in the White House and the Republican Party. The crises we face, to borrow a phrase, are all man-made. And that man is Joe Biden. So the first step to turning America around is ending this disastrous presidency. So here in Iowa, we must resolve that Joe Biden will never be reelected as president of the United States. elect a new Republican president will chart a course for our nation guided by our timeless principles. You know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. And what's true of a people is also true of nations. Well, ours will be a vision that's grounded in freedom. We will rebuild our military and make it fitted to the times to defend our freedom in an ever more turbulent world. We will end political correctness at the Pentagon and we will give our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines and Coast Guard the support they need to defend this nation and come home safe. will champion lower taxes. We'll extend the historic tax relief of the Trump-Pence administration and we'll give the American people freedom from excessive federal regulations and get back to repealing two federal regulations for every new rule that we put on the books. We'll end Joe Biden's trillion-dollar spending spree that's driving inflation making life more expensive for every American, and will set our nation back on a path to a balanced budget and make America's government follow the model of families by living within its means. We'll offer common sense and compassionate solutions to the debt crisis facing our children and grandchildren, and we'll free future generations from a mountain range of debt. We'll unleash American energy, open federal lands, and America will become energy independent once again.
will break the unholy alliance between Wall Street and big government that's forcing radical ESG policies on the private sector. And when I am president, American families will have a champion in the White House. We will give parents the freedom to choose where their children go to school. We will reject radical propaganda and we will demand respect for our history and religious freedom. As your president, I will appoint men and women to our federal courts who will uphold all the God-given liberties enshrined in our Constitution. The First Amendment, freedom of speech and religion. The Second Amendment, right to keep and bear arms. And they will stand for the sanctity of human life. And in all this work, We will seek not to divide the American people, but instead to appeal to the better angels of their nature. Now, Calvin Coolidge said once, it is a great advantage to a president and a major source of safety for the country for him to know that he is not a great man. This I know. I must tell you, we as Americans have had our fill of politicians who present themselves as great men and women. The last place we ought to look for deliverance is to our government. What we do seek is leaders with the courage of their convictions and competence and character, and we offer our services to all of you in that spirit. And while some in this contest have already taken to criticizing the record of the Trump-Pence administration, let me be clear. I'm incredibly proud of everything we accomplished for the American people. Together. Together, in three short years, we cut taxes, we destroyed ISIS, we stood with our allies and stood up to our enemies as never before. We made the strongest military in the history of the world stronger than ever before. We gave historic prosperity at home that lifted all Americans, regardless of race or creed or color. We achieved energy independence. And maybe, and maybe most important of all, It was our administration that appointed three of the justices that sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap of history where it belongs. We gave America a new beginning for life. Now, given our record, it might be fair to ask, why I'm challenging my former running mate. Let me say from my heart, it begins with a promise that I made to the American people and to Almighty God. And it ends with different visions for the future of our nation and our party. January 6th was a tragic day in the life of our nation. 
But thanks to the courage of law enforcement, the violence was quelled, and we reconvened the Congress the very same day to complete the work of the American people under the Constitution of the United States. As I've said many times, on that fateful day, President Trump's words were reckless. They endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol. But the American people deserve to know that on that day, President Trump also demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. Now voters will be faced with the same choice. I chose the Constitution, and I always will. Four years earlier, I swore an oath with my hand on my Bible and on Ronald Reagan's Bible to support and defend the Constitution. The Bible says he keeps his oath even when it hurts. And I know something about that. My son, the Marine, once reminded me, you took the same oath I took, Dad. So I did. So let me explain. Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution provides that the President of the Senate, the Vice President, shall, in the presence of the Senate in the House, open all the certificates and the votes shall be counted. No more, no less. Despite the fact that the Constitution's language is clear and provides the Vice President with no authority to reject or return electoral votes, my former running mate continues to insist that I had the right to overturn the election. But President Trump was wrong then, and he's wrong now. I will always believe, by God's grace, I did my duty that day. I kept my oath to ensure the peaceful transfer of power under the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, let me say from my heart, I understand the disappointment that many still feel about the outcome of the 2020 election. I can relate. I was on the ballot. <laughs> but I had no right to overturn the election. And Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. <laughs> Finally, let me say to my countrymen, I'll always be grateful for what President Trump did for this country. 
I've often prayed for him over the past few years. And I prayed for him again today. I had hoped he would come around and see that he had been misled about my role that day. But that was not to be. So let me say, I stand before you today as a candidate for president to say to the Republican Party, the Republican Party must be the party of the Constitution of the United States. We've had enough of the Democrats and the radical left repeatedly trampling on our Constitution, threatening to pack the court to dismantle the God-given rights that are enshrined there. We must stand on the Constitution to protect the God-given right to life. We must stand on the Constitution to protect the right to keep and bear arms. We must stand for the Constitution to protect the right to live, to work, to worship according to the dictates of our faith and conscience. The American people must know that leaders in the Republican Party will keep our oaths to support and defend the Constitution even when it's not in our political interest to do so. One last word that in part brings us here today. I believe that anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. Our liberties have been bought at too high a price. And how can we ask our men and women in uniform, like the members of our family, to support and defend the Constitution and not demand the same from those who would send them into battle? As your president, I promise you, from the bottom of my heart, I will always stand on the Constitution of the United States, and I will always stand with the men and women of the armed forces of the United States. So help me God. So I said my reasons for being here begin with a day in the past. But elections are about the future. And I believe different times call for different leaders. And my differences with my former running mate and others who are in this field also have to do with the values and policies upon which we have built this movement and will build this movement for generations to come. You know, when Donald Trump ran for president in 2016, he promised to govern as a conservative. And together we did just that. But today, he makes no such promise. After leading the most pro-life administration in American history, Donald Trump and others in this race are retreating from the cause of the unborn. Sanctity of life has been our party's calling for a half a century, long before Donald Trump was a part of it. 
But now he treats it as an inconvenience, even blaming our election losses in 2022 on overturning Roe v. Wade. As your president, I will always stand for the sanctity of life, and I will not rest, and I will not relent until we restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law in every state in the land. But it's not just values, but it's priorities. Today we have a national debt the size of our nation's economy for the first time since the end of World War II. We owe trillions of dollars to our adversaries. $860 billion to China alone. The biggest drivers of runaway spending are our New Deal and Great Society programs, upon which Americans depend every day. Social Security and Medicare. They make up 70% of the federal budget. What you deserve to know is that Medicare has five years before it goes broke. Social Security has 10 years if we're lucky. And left unchecked and unreformed, it'll mandate cuts in programs upon which people depend. Worse still, if we don't take the opportunity to reform these entitlements today, in 25 years, that $32 trillion will grow to $150 trillion and crush the future of the American economy and opportunities for our children and grandchildren. Now, Joe Biden's policy is insolvency, but you deserve to know, my fellow Republicans, that Donald Trump's position on entitlement reform is the same. Both of them refuse to even talk about the issue and take it to the American people, addressing a looming debt crisis facing those little ones in the years ahead is apparently less important than their short-term political fortunes. As your president, I promise you, I will tell the American people the truth about our debt crisis, and we will offer common sense and compassionate reforms to save these programs for seniors today and give young Americans a better deal tomorrow. Finally, Finally, it's about America's place in the world and our responsibilities as a beacon of freedom. America is the leader of the free world. We're the arsenal of democracy. But as war rages in Eastern Europe, the Chinese military continues its provocations, even through this week, against American warships and planes in the Asia-Pacific. Donald Trump and others who would seek the presidency would walk away from our traditional role on the world stage. Russia invaded and waged war on a sovereign nation, killing hundreds and thousands of innocent civilians. Its army targeted and tortured, destroyed hospitals and schools and left cities in rubble and continues today. President Trump. He described Vladimir Putin as a genius at the outset of the invasion. And another candidate for the Republican nomination described the invasion of Ukraine as a, quote, territorial dispute. 
I must tell you, a year ago, Karen and I stood on the Ukraine-Poland border. We went into a relief center and spoke with and embraced heartbroken families who were fleeing the violence. And I promise you, I know the difference between a genius and a war criminal. I know the difference between a territorial dispute and a war of aggression. The war in Ukraine is not our war, but freedom is our fight. And America must always stand for freedom. And when I'm your president, we will. You know what, President Trump and others are forgetting is that our administration succeeded not because we compromised or abandoned conservative principles, but because we acted on them. I know we can beat Joe Biden, but we must resist the politics of personality and the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles, and we must stand firm on a traditional Republican agenda of a strong national defense, fiscal responsibility, and traditional values that led us to victory in the past and will lead us to victory again. So as Republicans here in Iowa and across the country, Begin the process of choosing our standard bearer in 2024. One more reminder. We cannot expect to unite the nation around an agenda of a politics based on grudges and grievances. You know, Joe Biden promised to restore decency and civility if he was elected president. He broke that promise on day one. He's continually vilified those of us that disagree with him. And even vilified members of his own party. You know, I believe that democracy depends on heavy doses of civility. Traveling across this country the past two years. I've heard consistently from our fellow Americans that they're looking for new leadership but leadership that could unite our country around our highest ideals. And leadership that would respect the civility that most Americans show one another every day. You know, after we move back to Indiana, I, I'd like to say, you know, what, once you get 15 miles out of Washington, D.C., the people of this country actually get along pretty well most days. <laughs> Our politics are more divided than ever before, but I'm not convinced our country is as divided as our politics. Most Americans treat each other with kindness and respect, even when we disagree. We know how to be good neighbors. That's not too much to ask our leaders to do the same. But sadly, it's clear that neither Joe Biden or Donald Trump share this belief. And neither of them intend to even try to bring our country together. But I believe it's not just about civility. To craft real solutions 
to the monumental challenges the American people are facing at home and abroad. We need leaders who will lead with respect for every American. You know, Winston Churchill said once memorably, you'll never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every barking dog. We need leaders who can distinguish between starting fights and finishing them, between the politics of outrage and standing firm. You know, I learned a long time ago that the best way to fight and win for the American people is to stand your ground. In Congress, I stood against big government republicanism, no child left behind, entitlement expansion, and I led the fight against the Wall Street bailout. We faced great pressure from a Republican president at the time, but we stood firm. As Indiana's governor, we fought to cut taxes, to roll back regulations, expand educational choice, battled back against the teachers' unions. And I stood for religious liberty against the woke brigades long before woke was even a thing. And as vice president, I stood by my president and our agenda in the face of withering media attacks every day. And in the end, I stood my ground for the oath I'd taken to the Constitution. As your president, I will not yield an inch in defending America, our people, or our values. But I promise you, I will do so in a way consistent with the character and decency of the American people. We will restore a threshold of civility in public life so we can bring real solutions to the challenges facing our nation. gather today at a difficult point in life for our nation. Americans are frustrated and anxious. So much has been lost in such a short period of time. But despair is not in our nature. Surrender is not in the American vocabulary. I love this country. I've dedicated my life to serving it. So I have a few things to ask. First, I ask for your support. Because I believe in my heart that we can turn this country around. What we did once, we will do again. What we had not long ago, we will have once more, but even better. Secondly, I ask you to remember who we are. And remember what we've done. You know, a careful study of American history shows that every time the American people have been called upon to do hard things, the American people have always risen to the challenge. We crossed the Delaware River. We weathered the terrible winter at Valley Forge. We, we faced redoubts at Yorktown. We made an empire wave a white flag. We wrote a constitution that changed the course of history. We held the hills of Gettysburg. We fought through the wilderness and threw open the doors of Richmond's slave jails.
all to save the Constitution and renew its promise of equality and freedom. We stormed the sands and scaled the cliffs of Normandy. We, we drove tanks through the gates of Dachau. We planted the stars and stripes on Mount Suribachi, on Iwo Jima, and saved civilization. We marched on Washington and won the right of suffrage for America's women. We, we marched over the Edmund Pettus Bridge and ended segregation. We built rockets and flew them to the moon, leaving the Russians in our exhaust. And we built the largest economy, the greatest military in history. And we buried the Soviet Union beneath it. The American people are always there for one another. When neighbors are hurting, strangers load up their minivans and head that way. Whether it was when the towers fell and people rushed across the country to search through the rubble. Or whether it was when the winds blew here in Iowa and the floodwaters rose. So I ask you to remember who we are. If you are tempted to despair. We're Americans. And there's nothing we can't accomplish together. One of those Americans left us 30 years ago in our family. My father was a combat veteran who came home from the Korean War with a medal on his chest. A bronze star for valor that went in the drawer, never to be spoken of again. When Dad's platoon came under heavy fire, his citation reads that he led his men across a minefield to safety. Until the day he died, he seldom spoke of those days in Korea. Battles of Porkchop Hill in Old Baldy. He didn't need to. He was called to fight for his country and he did his duty. And he never considered himself a hero. Our dad used to say the heroes were the guys that didn't get to come home. But that kid from the south side of Chicago was called to defend America oceans away, to stand against a superior force under withering fire, and he answered like generations that have gone before. But this is not my father's story. This is America's story. We've all of us always risen to the challenge. You know, as I said, my father kept that bronze star in the dresser drawer, but throughout my public career, my family's let me keep it close. And it traveled with me to the Congress, to the governor's office, and to the White House. For me, it was always a reminder that our challenges don't demand acts of valor quite like he summoned. And Americans have displayed throughout our history. But a reminder that fulfilling our role and our part to keep the flame of liberty alive and vibrant for the next generation requires each of us to summon our best, find the grace to see the best in one another, and face the future with courage. And never forget where we've been and what we've done. And above all else, who we are.
The American people are the most freedom-loving, faith-filled, idealistic, generous people the world has ever known. The American people have always been great. We just need government as good as our people. And we'll have it. And we'll have it soon. And when we do, the time we're passing through today will only be a footnote in history. Finally and lastly, I ask for your prayers. For me, for my family, and for all of the American people. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I believe with all my heart, God is not done with America yet. And if we turn our hearts back to the author and finisher of our faith and freedom, freedom story, the American story, has only just begun. And the best days of the greatest nation on earth are yet to come. So let's get to work. Thank you. And God bless you. And God bless America.